1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Let me read it and then we'll walk through it together. Peter writes and he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I sat down to study this this week. I'm I'm looking through it and I'm reading over it. And the idea of, of holiness is just overwhelming. It's one of these things that, that, I, that I read through it, and, and this is kind of how things went for me, as I throw things on the floor. This is kind of how things went for me. I'm reading through it and, and begin to think of all the ways I'm struggling, all the things that are just kind of weighing on me, pressing on me, and I just think, it, it's this simple text right here, be holy, why? But Because I'm holy. And so my prayer has been this week, God, help us not to get caught up in, in all of the systems and processes we might put in place to try and be what we can't be. But help us to be strengthened, help us to be encouraged, help us to be a people wholly surrendered to you. And I prayed that from my heart as well. And what I noticed is, as I went through this study is every, or most words I've heard on holiness before kind of centered around, let's create a list, let's get rid of this stuff in our life, let's incorporate this stuff in our life, let's be this on the basis of systems and procedures we could put into place. There's not a whole lot of joy in that. There's not a whole lot of joy in that. Because I'm a good list maker. I'm a good record keeper. So I'm just like, don't speed anymore. Oh, but I'm late. Don't raise your voice at your kids anymore. But you've seen how they act. And so we find all these ways of, of failing and all the ways that we want to go through and make this list of ways that we can manifest holiness in our lives, ways that we can show ourselves to be holy. But what we're going to find in this text as we go through is it's not on us to make ourselves holy. God is making us holy. And it's our submission to him that makes us that, not our intuition, not our ability, not our endurance that makes it a fact. And I hope we find encouragement through that. Let's walk through this passage together. Now, you remember that that last week, look back up from verse 14. Last week, we were in verse 13, and we spent the majority of our time there. And it said, therefore, preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in essence, what Peter has done so far in this letter is he spent the first 12 verses describing who you are in God. We've got to know that. We've got to know who we are in God. We are elect exiles. He has moved in our hearts to call us into salvation. And he's describing all the ways that the Trinity has moved in our hearts. And then he gets to verse 13. He says, since you know who you are, do this. Do this. And what does he call us to do? He calls us to set our hope fully on something that's out of our hands. And so he goes through this and he says, this is who you are. These are all the ways that God has moved in your midst. This is all the ways that you can endure suffering and difficulty. And what is the first thing he calls us to do? To set our hope on something that's out of our hands. To set our hope on something that's out of our hands. This grace that is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now 13 is a hinge verse. It's the first imperative, it's the first command that we see show up. And in 14 through 16, it's the overarching idea of holiness. Look how he does this. He describes us as obedient children. 
Verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We can take away a couple of things from this. One, we used to be ignorant. Some of you still are. Right? You and your wife can work that out later. Which one? Like, is he talking to me or is he talking to you? But, but we have a past. We have a past. We have a present and we have a future. How does he describe us here? He describes us as obedient children. Now, for anybody that has kids, has been around kids, or maybe you are a child, obedience, right, is kind of this mainstay that, that kind of gets into a lot of the conversations you have with your children. I can't tell you how many times our kids were like, just, just obey. Just do what I say. Just obey. But as we come into this discussion, he describes us not with this, this imploring us to obey, but what does he describe us as? He characterizes us as obedient children. Peter writes to this group of people who are suffering and in difficulty, and he presupposes that they are found in obedience. This is good news for us. He says, as obedient children. And this gives us another indication. Children have what? Children have a father. He wants them to understand that they're not relating to God as some, some high and kind of transcendent deity, that some cosmic watchmaker who, who wound this thing up and left them to their own devices. God is intimately invested in their lives, and he views them as children, and they should in turn view him as father. This is great hope for us. This is great encouragement for us. That we relate to God not as some distant, far-off creator God. But we relate instead to this far-off creator God in the most intimate of ways as Father. And he looks at us and he describes us in this way and he says, you are obedient children. Folks, this is who we are. We're elect exiles. This is not our home. We are homesick for a country that we've not been to. We're homesick for a country where our citizenship lies. And in this place, here and now, we're obedient children of a high and exalted king. Amen? As such. This is who we are, we're obedient children. As such, look what he tells us. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. There's this tension at play. On the one hand, we recognize that in Christ we are holy, we are righteous, our present is secure because of something that happened in the past, and our future is a certainty. We are headed towards glory. But in this, we recognize we have a past too. And our past, this place we used to be, we were pigs wallowing in the sin and mud of, of filth, and we liked it. We liked it. Some of us, some of us, we were alcoholics. We like to drink, we like the feeling of being out of control, we like the numbness that it provided us. We enjoyed this. We did. Some of us were drug addicts, some of us were, were stepping out, cheating on our spouses, and we liked the excitement and the joy it brought us. Some of us were so engaged, so swallowed up inside pornography that we saw no outside, but we liked it. Some of us simply flipped, were lazy gluttons. Our gob was our stomach. We liked to take in as much as we could. We liked this feeling of fullness, and so we fed it with everything we had. This is who we were. We liked it. Others of us, we said, those weren't my problems. I wasn't an alcoholic. I've never looked at pornography. I've never stepped out on my wife. I am, am fit and proper. For us, we were good. 
And in our goodness, we suppose that we did not need a holy God. In our goodness, we suppose that we did not need a sin covering. In our goodness, we felt that we could do it on our own. And these things manifest in pride, and we made ourselves and our good behavior our God. The praise and adulation we received from those around us, we enjoyed, we welcomed. All of these things. All of these things are characterized and described as our former ignorance. And we were passionate about them. And so here we stand. We stand in the middle and on the one hand we hear the siren song of who we used to be calling to us. Say, come back, have a drink. Come back, cheat on your wife. Come back, look at pornography. Come back, satisfy your gut. Come back, satisfy your goodness. Calling us to find our identity in who we were. All the while we recognize that as obedient children, as elect exiles, we are to be finding our identity in Jesus. And there's there's this pull though, and it's a very real pull. This is why we struggle. This is why we struggle, because we so long, we found our identity in who we were before we came to Jesus. And, And now after we've come to Jesus, these things were still true of us. Like some of us still have this overwhelming desire to take a drink. Some of us have this deep-seated insecurity that we need to step out on our husband or on our spouse to be fulfilled, to be a man, to be a woman, to be loved, to be held, to be cherished. And so we find ourselves stuck in the middle of this pressure. And we can be formed, we can be made in one of two images. Either we can give ourselves to our former ignorance and these passions, and we can be melted, we can be conformed into this crucible of who we used to be. We continue to lean hard to press into Jesus and to find ourselves living out all the implications of what it is to be an obedient child. And we find ourselves being conformed, being molded, being melted into his likeness instead of what we used to be. The choice is so abundantly clear for us. We stand at a crossroads much as they did. He didn't discount their suffering, but he said, we need to find ourselves, you need to find yourself being obedient to God. Christianity is not created so that you can have some type of privatized, rebellious expression of it. It's not as if you come to the Word and say, oh, you know what, I really like Song of Songs. I think there's some good stuff in there. But when it comes to be holy as I'm holy, when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to being a slave to God, Those things sound oppressive. Those things sound oppressive, and so I don't want those things. Christianity is not your privatized, personalized expression of what you take away from the text. It's not. Christianity is obedience to God. Look what he goes on to say. Don't head to where you used to be in in the passions of your former ignorance, but, verse 15, as he who has called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Look how he describes God here. He describes him in terms of who he is. This idea, he says, he who has called you is holy. The calling one is holy. God is holy. We recognize that God is holy, but he's also incredibly personal to us. And so we see the tension there. He is father, but he's holy. He's completely separate and other. There is nothing you encounter that can measure up to the holiness, to the complete separateness of our God. And in that, there is this this critical understanding of why would he choose to relate to me? Christian, God chooses to relate to you on the basis of your faith tethered to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we see here. He who called you is holy. 
in this, this grand statement of totality. As he who has called you is holy, you also, in all your conduct, be holy. It's, it's a radically all-encompassing statement. This is where I was hung up all week. Because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, in all your conduct. He's not talking about the hour and a half on Sunday morning. He's not talking about Wednesday night. He's not talking about the mornings you wake up and you read Psalm 46. And you're like, oh, be still. Oh, it's so good. Psalm 23, and you're like, oh, yes, you're my shepherd. I like it, I like it, I like it. He's talking about all of your conduct. That moment when your kid is so incredibly rebellious and all you want to do is, is lay down some strict obedience on him. You know what I'm saying? It's that moment in life when this guy cuts you off and he's got the, the Darwin eating all the little deals and it says coexist on the back of it. And you're like, oh, I want to lay some sweet religion on your forehead. All your conduct. All your conduct. There's a totality to it that's so incredibly devastating to me personally. Because I recognize all the various times, all the different ways that I mess up and completely don't live out all the implications of this passage. But look what he calls us to here. It's not a listing of all the ways that we can be holy. I've got to be honest, when I first approached this passage, I started looking about it, and I started writing all the ways. I was like, well, all your conduct. Well, with your wife, nailed it. With your kids, well, let's, talk, come, back, let's come back to that, okay. Um, with, with the telemarketer that called, oh, look, that, that's clearly an exception clause. With, with this, with that. And so I started listing out, I started thinking in my mind, how are all these things broken out? But look at how the passage is put together. It's not calling us to make a list. It's calling us to reflect on God. The weight and direction of this text is centered on him, not on us. The one who has called you is holy. Look over in chapter 2 in 1 Peter. Chapter 2, starting in verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, look, what, look at this, who called you from where? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called you. Your past was not a surprise to him. It's not that he saw you and said, whew, man, she looks bad. I'm not sure if I can handle this. It's not that he's called you and said, oh, here's something I can work with. I think they show real potential. He called you out of darkness. And the light that he called you into is, is this manifestation, this display of his glory. He called you into his marvelous light. And look what he goes on to say. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He who called you is God the Father. And called you from from the passions of your former ignorance, from the sin that you were so surrounded in and enslaved to and enjoying. And he called you from that to enjoy his presence. And it's in the midst of enjoying God's presence that we pursue holiness. It's in the midst of enjoying God's presence that we, that we pursue holiness. Probably once a week, well, I probably need it more than that, but probably once a week, the kids are upstairs and we have a quasi bonus homeroom edition type thing that is filled with toys. I mean, and, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. They're the toys that end up being like three feet deep, every one of which is designed to puncture the adult foot, right? And so it's the type of room you only go into with steel toe boots and you're like, I got your toys, I got your toys, I got your toys. 
Right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is what this room looks like. You can't do that with Legos, by the way. It will not happen. You will bounce back down the stairs. And so about once a week or so, <clears throat> the kids, I, I go upstairs and say, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I don't, do your toys breed at night? What is this? What is breeding? Oh, why did I say? <clears throat> Strike that. And so you have toys all over the place. What's going on? Oh, we were, you know, making this Lego War Duplo. Well, it looks like everything is in the state of civil war and heightened individuality. Hey, put it all up. Put it all up. Dad, it's clean slate time. This is where the Duplos go. This is where the farm animals go. I'm hyper-organized. I'm sorry. This is where all this stuff goes. No toys on the ground, no toys on the table. Every toy has its place and a place for every toy, right? That's a hope for every boy and girl, right? <clears throat> and so I say 10 minutes. Why do I give them 10? Because they have 10 fingers. They have no concept of time, but they can do this. And when they get to the end, I mean... Everything clean in 10 minutes. So I go downstairs talking to Valerie, looking at our perfect child who is an infant. That's the only reason. Right. <clears throat> right. And so I, I'm, I'm talking to her, and what I hear from upstairs is just, it's only described as this state of supreme. It sounds like they're eating each other. It's like a cockfight broke out. I don't know what's happening up there, but it's awful. All I know is I don't want to go back. And so uh, 10 minutes on my watch expires, and I give grace. And so I go up at like 12 and a half minutes. I walk upstairs, and I'm just like, what in the world? What is this? You didn't put anything up. And one of two things has happened. Either they're arguing, he's not helping, he's not helping. You don't talk to me like that. Or it's, dad, we started playing. We, we found toys we haven't seen in a month and a half. And clearly, because they're at the bottom of the three-foot pile. Now, if I choose to stay in the room, something radically different transpires. If I go up to the room and I see the room in disarray and a mess, and I stay in the room and I sit with them and I say, all right, you guys are going to clean, I'm going to stay here. The, the, the whole situation changes, you see, because in this moment, they were asking me questions. Dad, where does this go? How does this work? Where do you put this? And I'm giving responses, and they're asking me, Dad, what does this look like? And because they know me and they know my expectation, they know how these things work, we find them putting these things up. When we relate to God, in the midst of our life, he is changing our conduct on the basis of his presence. I'm not putting the toys up for them. I didn't write them a list and say, this is exactly what it needs to look. They're engaging with me. When we engage with God over the course of our life, we step into a situation and we take it unto him and say, how do I respond in this? What should this look like? We study his word, we understand his character, we understand who he is and what he's transforming us to. Our conduct radically changes. We don't change our conduct to please God. It's time spent with God that changes our conduct. Do you understand the radical difference? On the one, you set out to be a legalist. You set out to merit the favor of God on the basis of doing right things, hoping that he'll be impressed, that you'll earn his favor. The other one looks at it and says, God is already impressed with me because of Jesus. And on the basis of my association with Jesus, I enjoy his presence. And in the midst of enjoying God's presence, it radically transforms the way that we engage in all our conduct. Everything. The way that we go about our jobs, the way that we drive in traffic, the way we respond to difficulty, all these things hinge on our relationship to God. Understand this. The God who saved you is holy. 
He's holy. That is the only way to understand him, the only way to engage with him. He is holy. And time spent with him makes you holy. Look at how he wraps this up here in verse 16. Some weeks ago, we were in verses 10 through 12, and this is instructive. 10 through 12, what Peter did was he built a bridge of salvation history. Peter looked at it, and he wanted the people that he was writing to to understand that they were a part of the unfolding narrative of God, that this God who spoke through the prophets was speaking to them through the gospel, and that's what tied the two together. He wanted them to understand that. So he built that bridge, and here he begins to walk across it for the second time. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting here Leviticus 19.2. And if you take some time this afternoon or someday this week and you read through Leviticus, it is overwhelming. The sacrificial systems, the moral code, all the different processes and procedures in place to, to produce a people wholly separated from God, or separated to God, distinct and different from all the people around them. And if you read through there, you begin to observe that over and over and over again, he says, do this, why? I am the Lord. And then around about chapter 11 and verse 44, he says, do this, for I am the Lord, and as I am holy, so too you shall be holy. You're going to consecrate yourselves, and you're going to be a people holy and distinct from everybody around you. And so as we come in here, we recognize that in verse 16, our holiness stems from his word. Why is Christianity not some privatized expression of how you take and experience God, and it can't be your own little rebellious foretaste? Because Christianity is always an expression of what we see in his word. Christianity is always an expression of what we see in his word, and what we see there is his character. His character is holiness. Look what he says here. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The future trajectory of our faith in Jesus Christ can only be described as holiness. And salvation... God came and he saved you in the midst of your ignorance, in the midst of your rebellion. He imputed Christ's righteousness on you. Effectively, he saw you and you were stained with sin, and he took the righteousness of Jesus because of his sacrifice, and he put it on you. So when he sees Kelly, when he sees Lacey, when he sees Anthony, when he sees Trevor, he looks at them and he sees Christ's righteousness. Not your former sin, Christ's righteousness. And it's on the basis of our connection with God and the holiness of Jesus that he is making us holy over the course of our lives. Do we mess up? Absolutely. Ask my wife. She knows all of you mess up. (laughs) Do we mess up? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is completely loving and bent towards producing for himself a people worthy of his name and the people worthy of his name are a holy people are there things that we should cut out of our lives absolutely if you're an alcoholic should you quit drinking absolutely if you're cheating on your wife should you stop absolutely do these things make you more loved by god no time spent with god 
is going to reveal certain things in your life that have to go away. It's a beautiful fellowship with the, our Heavenly Father. It's a beautiful fellowship with God. Time spent with Him and time spent with His people is going to reveal things in our lives that don't measure up to His holiness. And these things He's going to strip away from us. These things He's going to take away from us. He is making us holy. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.